1: Instead, if we automatically forgive, knowing that people make mistakes, people are imperfect, uh, we're we're all people under construction, but we can rest assured that we love each other, that we want the best for each other. And so you said something that offended me, but I'm going to be unoffendable here and just practice automatic forgiveness. Let's move on from here and decide uh, how we make sure this doesn't happen again.
0: Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hello, friends. So I have a question for you today. Does your marriage have staying power? That's what we're talking about today. But this episode is a little different than our usual episodes. You see, Mark and I host a marriage community we call No More Perfect Date Night. It's a membership community for individuals or couples who want to continue to grow and strengthen their marriage while recognizing that there's always something to learn and that sometimes you just need some inspiration and some encouragement to keep your marriage at the top of the priority list. So once a month, we do something called Double Date with Mark and Jill, which is a 10 to 15-minute teaching that Mark and I do on some topic on marriage. Once a month, we share a creative date night so that you can get out of your relationship ruts and start having fun together. And then once a month, we also do something we call a Dive Deep Interview, where we talk with a marriage expert or a couple who have gone through something difficult and we really dig into how they've navigated that in their marriage. What I'm sharing with you today is the audio from a Dive Deep interview, not with one couple, but with two couples. Jean and Carol Kent and Dave and Cindy Lambert are the authors of Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. and they both have really unique stories. Now, you'll notice that the sound is a little different than it normally is, and that's because six of us are talking, and Mark and I are using a different mic than we normally use for the podcast, but you'll get used to it pretty quickly. This was such a powerful interview that we decided we really wanted to share it on the podcast as well. Welcome to this episode of our Dive Deep interview, and we are super excited to have with us today Dave and Cindy Lambert and Jean and Carol Kent, who are the authors of Staying Power, a new book that has been really transforming for, I know, a lot of marriages where outside influences, outside stresses and struggles begin to affect marriage, and these guys are offering hope and help on how to stay together, how to have staying power in the midst of hard. So welcome, Dave and Cindy and Jean and Carol. Hey, welcome. Great to be on with you. Yes, Well, Dave and Cindy, tell us where you're tuning in from. Where are you joining us from?
1: Well, we have have a place on a lake up in Pentwater, Michigan, which is about an hour and a half north of Grand Rapids. It's a little bit overcast today, but we've been having beautiful fall weather temperature's uh, around 70 degrees and mostly sunny days. So it's a beautiful part of the country to be in. Mm
0: -hmm. And tell us how long you've been married.
1: 18 years.
0: 18 years. Yes. And I I remember when that happened, Cindy. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) For our listening audience, Cindy was my very first editor on some of my first books and so when you started editing for me through zondervan you were single yes i was yeah mm-hmm. and you got married in the midst of that so yeah. love that
2: uh, yeah it's hard to believe it's been 18 years already we just celebrated <laughs> our anniversary so oh, i uh, love that
0: yeah yeah dean and carol tell us how long you've been married and where are you joining us from
3: hey we've been married 51 years Yay! Uh, Woo! And <laughs> incredible. And we're coming from Lakeland, Florida. Lakeland's between Tampa and Orlando, Florida, in the middle of the state. And it's about 82 or 3 degrees right now. So we're getting to the nice weather in Florida and getting away from the humidity. You can probably tell
0: we're outside right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Dave and Cindy and Mark and I are freezing in the Midwest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like Dave said, it was beautiful there. It's not beautiful. It's
4: raining. Yeah.
0: On the, yeah, gold, here. Talk about uh, Spain Power, and can you tell us, I mean, every book has a story. How did this, what's the story behind how Spain Power came apart? Came about. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Came <apart. laughs> that was hilarious. I think goal
3: is
0: not to come
3: apart. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like the birth of a baby. Okay, Cindy.
0: Okay,
2: I'll I'll take it. Every year the Kents and the Lamberts get together for a day in Petwater, Michigan, which is where we live now, where because the Kents always come up to visit family in the area. And For a few years, you know, we had been talking about the fact that we've all had friends whose marriages hit really rough times, circumstances outside their marriage that just pummeled them with with tragedy, with grief, with hardship. And some of those marriages didn't make it. Some of those marriages really did crumble under the, the stress. And the Kents and the Lamberts both have experienced some, some pretty sizable circumstances that have been very, very trying and difficult to deal with. And yet we've been blessed with marriages that grew stronger through those mm. times. And so we started talking about the kinds of things that we thought really helped our marriages stay strong and started comparing examples of other couples that we knew who had endured really tough times in the kinds of things that they were doing. And so we, you know, one night we were, it was getting late and we were kind of joking and we said, boy, this really, this really ought to be a book. And, and then we all kind of looked at each other and said, you know, this really could be a book because yeah. had we had this book when my son was in prison or when Dave was facing, you know, life-threatening illness, this book really would have been a help to us, an encouragement to us to stay strong during those times and so it took us what a year of dreaming about making it a book and then we got serious about it and spent a year writing it and had an awesome time together also interviewing other couples who really have been able to endure so much and incorporating their stories into the book I
0: love that right mm-hmm. I love that well we love hearing people's personal stories because you know it lets Let's the listener know they're not alone. So can you guys each share one of your most difficult crises and how that particularly shaped the book and what perspective you brought to it?
5: Well, Jill and Mark, a lot of people have heard our story uh, based on my books, When I Lay My Isaac Down mm-hmm. and A New Kind of Normal. We have an only child, a son, who's a U.S. Naval Academy graduate. And Jason was a joy to raise. He was never in trouble. But after he left the Naval Academy and went to nuclear engineering school, he met a previously married woman who had two little girls. And there were multiple abuse issues involving the biological father. And it appeared that this man was about to get unsupervised visitation of these little girls one year after Jason had married April. And Jason had received his first assignment for out of the continental USA with the military, and it was Hawaii. And that would mean six-week visits with a father he did not trust with these girls. And we received the the middle-of-the-night phone call no one ever wants to receive, telling us that our, our son had been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband. And we went through two and a half years and seven postponements of the trial before Jason was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. So Jean and I went from thinking we didn't even know another couple who had an incarcerated loved one to realizing that, no, this is the secret nobody talks about, that there are a whole lot of people who have been through unthinkable circumstances, even in the middle of having a pretty happy marriage, and often we don't know where to go with our stories or who to share them with or where to get help.
4: Mm. Right. Yeah. Wow. I, I like, it's a powerful phrase, unthinkable circumstances. And, and I think Jill and I, we love talking about these types of things because it normalizes the crises that we face in life, that life is just hard.
0: What about you, Dave and Cindy? What would
2: you like to share?
6: Well, let's see. Should we talk about
1: raising a granddaughter?
6: We could talk about raising a granddaughter. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: <I'm> <laughs> it's like, which one of our, I know. Which one I know. Of our I know. would you like to share?
3: <laughs> Isn't that terrible when we have so many to choose from? And
0: <laughs> <I> now
1: <laughs> we're laughing about it. <laughs> we could spend the next forty-five <laughs> minutes doing nothing but talking about the challenges, but this particular one, this particular challenge, started uh, oh, just a few years after we got married, and mm-hmm. we knew that there were going that there were problems in one of our sons' families where mm-hmm. we we had to stay involved in order to we thought make sure that we were. Protecting our, our granddaughter, our young granddaughter, making sure that she was being taken care of, well fed, getting to school, and so on.
2: Since we identified in the book, I think we can say drug addiction was the issue <clears> with, <throat> with both of our granddaughters, Clara. And so, drug addiction and the illegal activities that come with that mm. were uh, of both of her parents and yeah. who we together. And so, she was living in that environment
1: and we had uh, we had just started working with the Howard Books imprint of Simon and Schuster which is based in Louisiana and we live in Michigan so we were thinking of buying a house in Louisiana splitting our time keeping the one in Michigan splitting our time between the two as as we worked and just a very few months after uh, after we started that assignment i was in Louisiana working with the rest of the team there cindy was in baltimore with with her family Including the son and his uh, girlfriend and, and Clara, and she was going to join me there in Louisiana. And instead, I got a phone call saying, "We we can't leave her here. The time has come. We knew it might. It has come. She's in danger here, and we have mm-hmm. we have to take her home with us." So uh, Cindy got the necessary paperwork done while she was there and drove back home to to Michigan. How old was she would have been seven, seven. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So
2: suddenly our lives, here we were two empty nester career couple suddenly raising a seven-year-old all over again. And I have to say, you know, this was my son and his daughter. We're a blended family. Dave had five kids. I had my one son. And I saw this as a tremendous gift of generosity on Dave's part to be willing to basically say yes for the sake of you know of your granddaughter. Of course we thought of her as our granddaughter, but but still we'd only been married really two years at this point. But for Dave to say, well of course we need to do what we need to do, bring her home. You know, and really stepping into a whole new role in parenting all over again.
1: Right. Wow, we, we knew that that might go on for a long period of time, but we also thought that there was a possibility that, that, that Ben and, uh, and, and perhaps his, his girlfriend, one or the two of them, maybe both, would be able to overcome that addiction, be able to provide a reasonable home for a daughter. We thought it might happen, but as time went on, we realized, no, it's not going to happen. Uh, we're in this for the long haul. She's going to spend her entire childhood and, and leave for college from our home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of years. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, yeah. I mean, that's just what we did. We launched her into college two years ago, and, and really loved being her parents. But it included, as you can imagine, a lot of complications with family. Oh, I bet with her parents and with the traumas that the two of them continued to go through after we had Clara you know there was even although we don't write about this there was even a court battle at one point where where her birth mom felt that she was ready to take Clara back and we didn't want to be the ones to judge that and so we said that's really between you and the courts and so that was that was a very stressful and ugly chapter that was very yeah. difficult, I had been an infertile woman, and so for me to feel that somehow I had taken a child from someone, uh, even though at the time they willingly signed over guardianship, they, they wanted us to take mm-hmm. her for a time, but for me to feel I was in a position to to somehow be standing in the way of their reunion was heart-wrenching. I bet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, when when life pushes from the outside, it either pushes a couple together or it divides them, it pushes mm-hmm. them apart and they miss each other. You guys have stayed in the midst of hard. What do you think has been key to mm-hmm. to that staying power for each of you? And how did you stay as a team?
5: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Jill, that that really brings us to one of the chapters in the book, Staying Power, which is on making free decisions. Uh, We had both had pretty long-term commitments to each other. Dave and Cindy obviously were newer in their marriage Mm -hmm. than Tina and I were. But we had determined ahead of time what those non-negotiables were. And one of those was, I will listen and value the advice of my spouse. It's really important to decide that ahead of time before the crisis happens, because lots of times you have anger flaring, you have emotions running rampant, and that's a time when you can begin lashing out at each other just because you're so upset about the actual circumstance, not because you're really angry with each other. So oh, if you can decide right. ahead of time, it's just non-negotiable for us. I will listen to you. I will value your opinion. I will respect you. And and so I think if couples can even read this book, even if they're in the, the first throes of marriage or considering getting married and ask themselves, what are my non-negotiables? What pre-decisions will we, we make? And Dave and Cindy, what are some of your predecisions that you think contributed well to being able to make good choices?
2: I think one of them for me really was kind of that starting point of saying, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No matter what we face, we will be partners in what we are facing together. And that has a profound impact on your perspective as you're going through you know a trauma, a difficulty, especially if you're both emotionally reacting differently from one another in the crisis to still be able to say, "But no matter what, we're in this together and so that's a that's a predecision that we had made, and so it was. This wasn't, this is your grandchild, or this is what I want to do. It's no, we're in this together. What should we do together? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, and yeah. I would even think that pre-decision would be even divorce is not an option.
2: Definitely. That's absolutely part of the we're in this together. Is kind of like nothing separates us. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. A That's a huge one. Yeah. Okay.
3: There's an old book. I think we saw it in Sunday school, probably 45 years ago, called Communication and Marriage. The key to marriage is communication. Mm-hmm. And I know we all hear that so many times. And yet we are we all all have a difficult time applying that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, we need to talk about it and I'm not gonna clam up. And you know, and I'm thinking about my parents is my dad was not a communicator. My mom wanted to talk, but dad didn't. And right. it was just a negative in their marriage. I know, just watching that from the as a son, as a child. Yeah. Mm. So Carol and I, you know, whether I want to or not, we're going to talk. About
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that I think that uh, that I think Cindy is really good at and, it, and it's a great pre-decision, too, and that is that I will not expect my spouse to read my oh, mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, wow. so often, so often there are things that, you know, we sort of get into that mood of, well, if he can't tell that I need a hug, you know, then,
6: uh,
1: then what good is he? But if he needs a hug or, or anything else, she will simply say so. And, and, and that is, it's so freeing to know that if there's a, a moment when I'm not being sensitive to what she needs, she will tell me what it is she needs, and then we can, we can address that. Here, here's another really important one, too. And, and we mentioned this concept a number of times in the book in various places, but that would be, as a predecision. I will practice automatic forgiveness. forgiveness. I mean, when, when a wife or a husband does something that offends their partner, if you spend the next six months with that cloud hanging over your head because they just won't forgive you for what you did, then, then it's very hard to, to have a constructive marriage under those circumstances. Instead, if we automatically forgive, knowing that, People make mistakes. People are imperfect. Uh, we're, we're all people under construction. But we can rest assured that we love each other, that we want the best for each other. And so you said something that offended me, but I'm going to be unoffendable here and just practice automatic forgiveness. Let, let's move on from here and decide uh, how we make sure this doesn't happen again.
6: Mm.
0: Uh, we call yeah. that forgiving in real time.
1: Yeah. And uh,
0: Yeah yeah i mean and you're right i mean it just needs to be a knee jerk almost Mm -hmm. and oftentimes with couples it's the opposite right we if the knee jerk is offense right and then we hold on to that right Mm -hmm. with that unforgiveness comes this anger that just
4: perpetuates a negative relationship that just continues to turn negative in the book you talk about positive uses of anger. What, what would be examples of those?
1: Well, one of the positive uses of anger, and I got to say, to me, this is kind of a strange concept, positive uses of anger, because I've gone most of my life basically thinking anger is destructive. When you get angry, that means you're probably in sin about something. And if, and if someone is angry at you, that means they're dangerous for you right now. But there are also positive uses of anger. Realizing that anger is always volatile and, and needs to be handled with care, anger can provide motivation. I mean, if one of the members of you know either the husband or the wife is angry, you can assume when your partner is angry that this is something they care about greatly. And if it's important to them, then it should be important to you. And so the, the, it's a reasonable stance to say, you're angry about that. Let's, let's, Use the energy from that to address this situation, to make sure that that it comes up less often or that uh, we can overcome it and and avoid it in the future.
0: Yeah, Mm, that's so true. Yeah, it is. It's a a good reminder that anger has value.
1: Right.
5: You know, Mark, my dad was a pastor. And I remember him coming home one day and talking about a couple he had met. They had both been in a very serious automobile accident and the husband walked away from the accident, but the wife had severe facial scars as a result of what had Mm -hmm. been fired. And in a moment of anger, he yelled at her, you old scar-faced woman, can't you do anything right? And from that point on, anytime he looked at her, even in an intimate moment, Uh, she assumed he saw an ugly, scar-faced woman. And so even in the expression of our anger, when we truly are saying we're in this together, we are going to make free decisions, we are going to forgive freely, we will be unoffendable, we have to realize that some comments can never be unsaid. And so Mm -hmm. it's a reminder to think before you let your mouth
0: go crazy. Yeah, Yeah. you know, (laughs) as you were saying that I was thinking about, you know, back in World War II, they said loose, loose lips sink ships. And I was like, wow, loose lips sink relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have never thought of it that way. But you are right. This is uh, why we need self-control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. powerful. You guys talk about something called the 10 second rule. Talk to us about that and how it applies to marriage. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> well, we got that from a good friend here in, in Michigan, Claire DeGraff, who lives in the Grand Rapids area. And he, he wrote a book. I was the, the editor of the book uh, called The Ten Second Rule. And, and his, uh, the way he worded it in the book was just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do and commit to it immediately in the next 10 seconds before you change your mind. And his motivation there is that so often we, in the Christian life, we see little things, we think, that, that, that's something I should do. I should, I should donate some money to that cause. Or, you know, we pass a, uh, homeless people on the street and we think, I should do something about that. And Claire came to the point that he realized, because of the teaching of someone else, that he heard that the time to do something about it is right then. That that thought that you had was the Holy Spirit nudging. Mm-hmm. So he would make, this is where we got the idea of pre-decisions, he would make pre-decisions such as the next time I'm on the street and a homeless person asks me for change, I'm going to stop and talk to that person and, and take them to for a meal. Mm-hmm. So once he'd made that pre-decision, then immediately, of course, when he's on the street of Chicago and and some uh, panhandler stops and asks him for change, he knows exactly what he's going to do. And he can initiate that within the next 10 seconds. So that's the 10 second rule. And, and out of that uh, idea came our, our whole uh, chapter on, on predecisions.
3: Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, was, I was just thinking in our sophisticated life here in North America, sometimes we think too long about a decision Yes and I think you know the and David sell it, said it so well, and Claire de Graff did in his book that we think too long about it when the Holy Spirit's nudging our mind to uh, say something nice to somebody to mm-hmm. might even say correction to a leader or something like that and we we decide well uh, we think m- too long about it, and we end up not doing it, and uh, we we miss that opportunity to to be used of god in other people's lives yeah
0: yeah it's yeah. kind of the idea of just do it do it now if you yeah, can do yeah. it right now do it now
4: yeah think what i loved most as i read your book was how practical i mean how honest and straight on it was but also practical and in the back of the book you give 13 crisis worksheets or help help sheets. Yeah. Yeah. What brought those about? And maybe give a couple of examples about it.
3: I think we were, as we were designing the book and coming up with the various chapters and starting to put it all together, I think Dave Lambert came up with the idea of, we need to have something, a one page description of what somebody who's going through a really difficult situation right now in their life, a one-page description of what can they do right now to start on the course of alleviating their problem. And we we brainstormed about it, and Dave, in his brilliancy, came up with these one-sheets at the uh, end of the book. Okay.
0: Well, oh, it's probably my favorite part.
3: Right. <laughs> well,
0: I think it makes this
5: a wonderful resource for leaders, for pastors, for small small groups. Yes. Because so many times if someone loses a child, what can they do today? What's a website they can go to? What's a phone number? Mm-hmm. What's a book that would be a resource? If, if uh, you have a situation where you encounter a, an unexpected financial downturn, Where can you go today to get advice and help? If you're struggling with infertility, what is the one thing you can do now? And it's so helpful to have that on a sheet. And I don't know if those who are viewing this rather than listening can see it, but you can tell each of these sheets is just one single sheet. It isn't like you have to read through a lot of description to find Mm -hmm. out
0: what your go-to steps are. So I really like that a lot about the book. Oh, oh I need to um thank share you. uh share a couple of the of the help sheets. What are the titles on the help sheets, Carol? What are some of the topics that you guys provide those help sheets for?
5: One is dealing with the incarceration of a loved one, which I got to contribute to since that is the journey that Jean and I have. Elder care. We have so many couples now who are caring for their aging mom and dad, and there are so many Situations. I'm, I'm using that help <laughs> sheet right now with
6: my mother. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah, for
5: sure. Alcohol or drug abuse of a loved one, a wayward child or an adult child who is in crisis right now, a family member's health challenge. And that could be your own child or an extended relative or even your spouse. Yeah. Uh, and I think the death of a friend or a loved one, especially when it's been a close relationship, impacts marriages. Very much, especially if if one of the people in that couple feels the loss more acutely than the other. You can Mm -hmm. feel like you're being judged by your spouse for not getting over with it fast because the the spouse might not understand why this is such a deep loss. And then I think a, a huge one for couples today is chronic illness or the ongoing disability of a child, often with autism, Down syndrome, that is not something that gets solved within a year. That is a journey of decades, Mm -hmm. often, where parents are dealing with the crisis and then dealing with each other's response to the crisis. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Mm, wow! Those are so powerful. And yeah. I have already referred multiple people to those help sheets and to the book itself. So I'm just so glad you guys included those.
1: Let me give a shout out to uh, Jim Hancock, who helped us with those. When we were discussing the book and, and coming up with the idea for the crisis help sheets, I had just seen a set of uh, help sheets that Jim, who's a youth worker and who worked with youth specialties for many, many years, had created for youth workers to use in helping kids in their youth groups who were in crisis. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, here's a guy who's had some experience with just what we want to do. So we brought him on as, as part of the team to help us write those. And after, we originally had 12. And after Jim and I had worked on the 12, he said, you know, being a youth worker and seeing what kids are struggling with these days, and the parents of those kids that I also work with, mm-hmm. he said, you've left out an important topic. And so we added one more, children struggling with sexual preference or gender identity. So many families are struggling now Mm -hmm. when that arises with their kids. Cindy and I worked with a couple who are now down at uh, Andy Stanley's church in Atlanta, who have put together a ministry for parents of kids who are struggling with those issues.
6: Mm -hmm. Because
1: for so many of them, they have no idea where to turn. They've they didn't have a class that prepared them to deal with this. And so they don't really know. They might not even know anyone else who's struggling with that same thing. This help sheet will at least give them a starting point.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, that's a part of our story as well. We have a son that is in a same-sex relationship. And the more that we've talked about that publicly, Um, With his permission, which I'm so grateful that he Mm -hmm. is supportive of us talking about that uh, Boy, it just usually my email lights up, you know Every time that I do an interview or we talk about it in some way publicly because parents are really trying to figure that out And Mm
6: -hmm.
0: How do we love and not agree? How do we love well? um, When our heart is breaking Mm -hmm. So,
3: yeah. yeah And the days of uh, when we used to have simple answers for these things, I think we're all at the point where there aren't simple answers for so many issues today, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. which means we have to use our brains that God gave us and, and communicate again with each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah.
0: So much of it is a heart. It's heart as well.
6: Yeah.
0: You know, one of the things you guys talk about is you talk about couples taking timeouts mm-hmm. and taking timeouts even in the midst of crisis. And man, that goes against what we feel like doing. Right. When our world has exploded or it's challenging or it's hard or it looks nothing like what we thought it would, what, what would you say to that couple that's like, yeah, right, I can barely breathe, let alone mm-hmm. take a timeout? What do you suggest? What are some practical ways to do a timeout and wh- why is it important?
3: Well, one of the simplest things is just, just go for a walk. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a five-mile walk or 6 mile. We just heard uh, from Jill and Mark that they just hiked six miles, three miles up the mountain and three miles down the mountain just, what, last week? We
0: did. Yeah. 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 It was a little crazy.
3: Yeah. We Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who's listening, it does not have to be six miles. No, no. Go for a 15, 20 minute walk. But doing those things together, getting outside, getting the fresh air, getting your mind off of that environment that's in the house or something like that. And seeing God's nature, seeing the beauty that's around us. And, you know, I take that time and sometimes express the love that I have to my wife of 51 years. But it, it just renews our mind mm-hmm. so well, just doing something as simple as that. But there's lots of other things that can be done. Carol, I think it's really important that we study our spouses well enough to know
5: that when I might be having a good day, my spouse might be having a terrible time coping with whatever our crisis is. And so we need to read the rhythms of each other and give that spouse permission to take a day off from having to deal with the stress, have lunch with a friend, just take some time away from the crisis. And then when we're feeling strong, we can handle it for a while. And so sometimes our timeouts are together and sometimes they're separate depending upon what we're going through. But I think we we don't have to often plan a whole day. Most of us don't have a whole day, but we might have an hour. And sometimes we can drive to a nearby park and just walk around. And that helps so much. We can go get coffee together. And I think one of the things I've noticed, we're, we're doing this interview in the year of all of the restrictions of COVID-19. And Jean and I work from home on our non-ministry days, non-public ministry days. And so sometimes mid-afternoon, we'll say, hey, we have to get out of here. And we'll just go grab a cup of coffee and drink it in the car. Could we have made coffee at home? Yes. But it's fun to get out. It just does your mind good to have that little break. And we're trying hard not to make our timeouts going to Chick-fil-A for dinner every night.
3: (laughs) And yeah, I, always, yeah. I always want to stop at the convenience store and get a package of cookies and just sit there in a the car and eat it like This, right.
0: <laughs> this is what not to do.
3: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, talk for a moment, though. Sometimes when life is hard and there's incredible grief, the thought of doing something fun and normal comes with some guilt.
6: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Talk about that a little bit. How do you get past the guilt that, you know, your loved one can't enjoy this? You know, the, the guilt that you're laughing and, and enjoying just maybe a brief moment when there's so much pain in your life. Can now, you talk about
5: that? Jill, I'll, I'll just share a brief story and maybe Lamberts would like to contribute to this answer as well. But I know we're talking to couples. And so I'm going to be very candid here. Soon after our son was arrested for murder, I was speaking overseas to a group of military women, active duty women in the military and male spouses. And it was a multiple day trip. And we did not quit ministry because honestly, we needed the money to pay the attorney, to pay our house payment. Jean had left. His employment with an insurance company and ministry was the only way we could put bread on the table and pay our bills. And so it was out of necessity. And I remember that from the time of Jason's arrest until we got overseas, it was in Germany in this lovely hotel, three Three weeks, weeks, three weeks, (laughs) we had not made love. And one afternoon, we had a whole lot of time off. Of and- course,
3: like a guy, I remember that.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> you do. <laughs> and somehow, uh, you know, his hand touched the small of my back. And within, within a while, we were into a rhythm we knew very well of intimacy. And right in the middle of that extraordinarily precious, intimate act of love, I I remember both of us burst into tears and we literally fell apart because we had the reality of instantly knowing we were doing something. Our son, who now was in a situation where he would probably never walk in freedom again, that he would never be able to enjoy intimacy with his wife again. And it was heart wrenching. And so we, it was, I would love to tell you it was overnight. We got over the guilt of enjoying each other physically, but it was a process and at times a hard process because in those moments, it's hard for you to imagine your 25 year old son will never again enjoy an intimate love, physical relationship
0: with his wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Dave and Cindy, would you guys add to that?
1: Well, I think one thought is uh, something that was implied in, in Jean and Carol's story too there. And that is that the guilt comes because you feel like you're enjoying something you don't have a right to enjoy, or you should be working harder to overcome the, the needs of, of those in your family that are that are causing the, the, the problems. And, and so that guilt comes in. But when the two of you are enjoying something together, yes. you are serving a member of your family. You're serving your spouse. And uh, so to take the time for that walk, or to go out to Chick-fil-A for dinner, or buy that bag of uh, cookies, or or go out for coffee, you are serving the needs of your spouse. And yes, you're enjoying it too. Yes, you're benefiting from it as well. But in order to keep your marriage operating, so that you can continue to meet the needs of all the rest of those in your family, you need to nourish it. And you nourish it by making sure that not only are your own needs being taken care of, but your spouse's needs as well. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that awareness can alleviate some of the guilt.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That is uh, Mm -hmm. such wisdom. Mm -hmm. I think that we often, our perspective gets a little skewed. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we we forget the need to serve one another. Right. and, And to take care of ourselves. Yes. Because. We can't even address the crisis if we don't have the energy, the emotional energy, the spiritual foundation to stand on. Uh, So we have to, that self-care has to be an important part of the journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you guys, this has been a powerful conversation. Thank you so much. You guys, you say that Winston Churchill's, famous quote, never give up, which he said, as it applied to war, you say it, it applies to marriages and families. So give us just a little bit of insight on that.
5: Hmm. David, <laughs> this is you.
1: <laughs> yeah. this, was, this was actually a fun, uh, fun chapter to write on, on never never give up, because there's so many g- great stories to, to tell. But I think one of my favorite that came out of that chapter and, you know, we called it Never Give Up, but in the Bible, it's often called Perseverance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and we related in that story or in that chapter, the story of Lee and and, uh, Lee and Lisa Warren, who had a son, who, Lee's son from his previous marriage, who, who died uh, violently. Under somewhat confusing circumstances, did, was it suicide? Was it murder? It was really never quite clear, but they had to deal with that grief. And as a neurosurgeon, he couldn't stay away from the office forever. He had patients who needed his, uh, his attention so that he could save more lives. And one of the things that, that they discovered over the course of dealing with that grief over many, many months... And and years was that just continuing to do the little things, whatever it was, but going through life, not, not shutting down, not giving up the things that were important to them or to their family members. But if they had to just go through the motions, then go through the motions, but keep going. And, uh, and they said that one of the things that really helped them through in the end was simply continuing with the little things that the family did, the little things around the workplace, the little things mm-hmm. in business, the little things in taking care of themselves. In, in terms of going to the gym or, or going for a run so that physically they, uh, they are able to fulfill the difficult requirements of living with grief. And I think that that same principle applies in marriage. Sometimes you don't feel like it.
6: Mm-hmm. Sometimes
1: you do feel like just giving up or giving in or just not doing anything, but just continuing to do the little things, making sure the, the dinner is prepared and the, the dishes cleaned away and the, the bills are paid and the, the, uh, the snowy walk, is this being Michigan, the snowy walk is shoveled. Those things help you in, in overcoming. The kinds of challenges that every marriage is, every marriage faces, and that the that the couples who come to this book are facing, or they wouldn't be picking up the book in the first place. Mm-hmm. They know they're struggling. In some cases, they're struggling with things that need immediate attention, and that's why they look at the crisis help sheets at the back. In other cases, they're looking at long term chronic problems, and and one of the things that will help them through it is just not giving up, just continuing to do even just the little things.
0: Yeah, it's really about putting one foot in front of the other, isn't right. it? it, is. yep. it is. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, you guys talk earlier in the book about making the next right choice. I think a lot of times in these crises, you, there's so many things that you're just like, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what, this? And what are we going to do about that? And you really, you could become so overwhelmed so quickly mm-hmm. that, That also is you've got to just put one foot in and make the next right choice as it relates to the situation, not getting ahead of yourself. Would you add anything to that?
5: I think you said it very well, Jill. I I think of it as being single focused. And when you are confronted with a decision that needs to be made now, if you allow yourself to be so overwhelmed, you you come to an impasse everything starts falling apart, including the health of the rest of your family, the emotional, mental, and spiritual health. But if you can focus long enough to say, hey, I can make this choice. God has given me a brain. I may not have heard some kind of a a divine answer out of the sky, but in the light of the circumstances and as I pray for God's will, I'm going to make the next choice. And then it clears your mind to be able to face the next thing. And so it sounds so simple, but it really is important if we're going to make progress and keep our marriages healthy. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, just as a reminder, the name of the book is Staying Power, and it's building a stronger marriage when life sends its worst. And these guys have done a great job assembling a powerful resource for couples that are facing a crisis. Couples that are facing a long-term challenge. So Dave and Cindy and Jean and Carol, we are so glad that you joined us. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, and you know what? It just seems appropriate, especially because we're talking about something so challenging. Uh, Dave, would you be willing to close us in prayer and just pray for any couples that are, are watching or listening and a going through difficult situation?
1: Absolutely. Lord, we thank you very much for this opportunity to share these ideas that you've put on our hearts and minds and that, that we have developed and and put into this book. We pray for the ministry of the book that it will go out to couples who who pick it up because they have a problem that they need to, to address and that they will find wisdom there or that your Holy Spirit will work in their lives to to help them find the if not the solutions to the problems, and at least the ways to live meaningfully with it. And we pray that for the wide variety of problems that couples face that would draw them to a book like this, we pray that you would act, be active in the lives of every one of them who picks up this book and, and reads it and uses it. We pray that they would find some release and find some relief and some, some success in addressing the issues in their lives. And we pray also for this program that people watch, that Mm -hmm. uh, that it would have the same effect with each each issue, no matter the subject, that uh, it would have a great impact on people's lives and cause them to grow spiritually as well as grow together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you.
1: Amen. Well, this
0: is Mark and Jill Savage, along with Dave and Cindy Lambert and Jean and Carol Kent, with a reminder that a real marriage isn't perfect. A real marriage is two people being perfected. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to a dive deep interview Mark and I did with Jean and Carol Kent and Dave and Cindy Lambert for our No More Perfect Date Night members. If you'd like to check out No More Perfect Date Night, you can start a free seven-day trial at nomoreperfectdatenight.com slash register. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.